Welcome to Indie Insider, the weekly show where we chat with video game industry professionals about their projects, their stories, their advice to others, and, of course, their thoughts on everything indie. I'm your host, Logan Schultz, and today on the show I sit down with Scott Rogers, an acclaimed industry veteran and author of Level Up, The Guide to Great Video Game Design. He and I chat about his personal story, the business of video games, his advice for others, making art while surviving cancer, and his passion for Disneyland. Before we get to the interview, however, a couple of quick notes. This show is presented by Blackshell Media, a publishing and marketing firm working to help indie developers reach their goals and new audiences. The company also strives to offer unique, inspiring, and even educational services for developers, publishers, and gamers alike, which is why we get to bring this show to you. Speaking of which, be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, and other podcast services across the internet. And please, leave a review. If you'd like to be a part of the show and share your thoughts, questions, or even request a professional to bring on the podcast, send me an email at logan at blackshellmedia.com. You can also find the most up-to-date news on the Indie Insider Podcast on Twitter by following at Logan A. Schultz. That's L-O-G-A-N-A-S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. Finally, special thanks to Scott for joining us on the show as well as Benjamin Tiso over at bensound.com for allowing us to use his song, Going Higher, in the show. And now, without further ado, author and industry veteran Scott Rogers. Welcome to Indie Insider. Today, I'm talking to the Scott Rogers. Now, if you don't know Scott Rogers by name, I guarantee you know some of his work. But before we get to that, Scott, how's it going? <laughs> it's going great, Logan. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. It's a, a late night for me, um, a little later than I usually get to talk to people. Um, but I'm really happy that I caught you. So Yeah, I'm, uh, a, I'm glad you were able to stay up. <laughs> not a problem. I'm happy to. Uh <laughs> Scott, before we dive into, you know, your story, I, I want to hear about your experience in this industry, your you know, lengthy experience in this industry. Um, tell me a little bit about what you're doing now. What is, we just finished a week, we're talking on a Friday. What does a week in Scott Rogers' life look like right now? <laughs> it's long, very long. No, Um <laughs> It's it's funny that you called it lengthy because somebody just recently made the realization that my game designer career, not my entire video game career, but my game designer career is old enough to drink. And my video game career is actually older than that. It's already been drunk for a few years. But uh, <laughs> That is an achievement. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> what, is my, what does my week look like? Um, so uh, currently, uh, I exist in the world, uh, kind of a few worlds, actually. Uh, my main, uh, it's not a full-time gig, but it's, uh, enough to keep me busy. Uh, I teach at a place called the New York Film Academy, which is not mm -hmm. in New York, although there is a New York Film Academy in New York. It's actually in Burbank, California, lovely downtown Burbank. And so I teach um, a plethora of games there, including 
level design courses and history of video game courses and um, one of my favorites right now uh, is a, a board game design class uh, that Excellent. we call Systems Literacy, a very boring title for a very cool class. <laughs> um, and the other part of my time is spent doing contract work. Uh, I, I um, help out other teams and companies and individuals uh, who have ideas for games. And they say, hey, I need somebody who knows about games to help me bring this to life. And so I'd say about um, 95% of those are things that kind of never see the light of day. Uh, but that's okay. I'm helping them ooch their ideas along. Maybe something will come of it eventually. Uh, and then the other part of my time, actually a, a moderately significant part of it in relationship to the contracting, uh, is I've been designing board games. Uh, I have one due out... Um, I want to say we're going to Kickstarter in the end of February. Oh wow! This is this is kind of a kind of kind of not a scoop. It's it's kind of a soft scoop, <laughs> like ice cream. Um, Great. Yeah, the the game is called Ray Guns and Rocket Ships. Uh, it's a 1930s inspired uh, action strategy skirmish type game um, where you fly around in rocket ships and blast at each other, and then you have your crew run around inside the ship kind of a little bit like FTL, uh, but this is all miniatures and board game. And then those guys uh, put jetpacks on and they jump out of the ship and fight each other in outer space. And then they cut into the hulls of the other players and fight each other inside the ships. And it's a lot of fun and there's a lot of killing and blowing up of stuff. And it it was actually a uh, concept I had been playing with for a long time as a video game. But uh, when I first thought of it, it it wasn't particularly easy for people to make their own games and so i thought well this would be a lot easier for me to make as a board game than it would as a video game so it is coming out uh, from idw games the the guys that did machi koro and the recent teenage mutant ninja turtle game. right right of course they're really they're a really great group of guys so and how ladies. long has that project been ruminating then oh my god it's forever <laughs> um back in 2006 uh, one of my very dearest friends is was the multiplayer lead on Halo. And we were talking about space games and science fiction and how much we liked it. Uh, he'd already been done with Halo for a long time. He'd worked on the first one. And I am a big Star Wars fan. And I said, it would be really great to work on a Star Wars game one day. And my friend, his name is Hardy. He's a bit of a curmudgeon, but he says, ah, screw Star Wars. Make your own damn Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I thought about it, and I'm like, yeah, he's right. You know, it would in the long run, it would probably be better off for me to make my own Star Wars rather than just try to add to someone else's wallet. I've I've made a lot of big companies, a lot of money, and uh, and with not a lot to show for it other than a really nice jacket from Maximo. Oh, uh, cool. so, so, uh, so I'm like, uh, you know, it'd be nice to, to do it for myself and, you know, it took a lot of time to get there. Hopefully it will be successful. You know, still it's a big hazy question mark at this point, but I sure. have a lot of, uh, I have faith in it, but also a lot of other really smart people have faith in it. So I'm hoping that people get excited about it and think that it's something new and worth spending their money on. Uh, that's excellent. I'm, I'm happy to hear that you're kind of diving into something new, building this new, you know, IP, working uh, with a board game. Um, but while we're time hopping and you're telling your stories, 
let's jump all the way back. Uh, start from the beginning. Tell me, tell me your. I was born in San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> I was born a small white child. Um, so uh, <laughs> that's a jerk reference that might predate you by about twenty years. Um, so I, I grew up in San Diego. I played a lot of games, arcade games and board games, and got into Dungeons and Dragons um, early-ish, late 70s. Uh, okay. And so games were always part of my DNA. Uh, I'd been, I'd always enjoyed games, all different types of games. I used to steal quarters from my dad to go play Donkey Kong and Dig Dug and things like that. And... Um, and I, uh, but I never thought of it as a profession. I never thought it was a thing that I could do for a living. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. uh, when I was like 14 or 15 years old, I lived, I literally lived like two or three miles away from Sega Gremlin. This is the U.S. branch of Sega back yeah, in the wow. 80s uh, down in San Diego. And I used to see their sign from the street or from the highway. And I used to kind of muse to my dad. I'm like, oh, you know, I should. I, you know, I wonder if they're hiring. Uh, you know, I love video games. They, I, these are the same guys making games. And my dad used to say, "You should just go and and ask them for a job." My dad was a very you know cut through the BS type of guy. <laughs> and um, and I'm like, why would they want to hire a kid? I'm like 15 years old. They, I'm still in high school. Why would they want to hire me? Well, many years later, I worked for Namco, and I worked with an artist. And I'm blanking on what his last name was. His first name was Ken. And he was the artist that drew that picture of Frogger on the side of the cabinet, that, you know, that famous picture of him wearing the tie and kind of rushing to work. And I told him that story when I found out he worked at Sega Gremlin. I told him my story and he laughed and he said, you should have totally done it because we would have hired you. Wow. Just anybody, anybody at that point would showing up with an interest in video games. We would have we would have brought him on board. And so, uh, you know, that that's one of one of the many I tell many lessons uh, while I teach. And that's that's one that I think is important because it it really kind of boils down to don't don't let people don't wait for people to invite you to the party. Just make your own party or or kind of kick the door down. You know, don't don't be afraid. Oh, they'll never hire me. Oh, why would they want me? Oh, I'm you know, I'm still learning. Why would I? Why would somebody want to hire me? And those aren't good excuses, especially not now. Um, but but it took me a long time to learn that lesson, and so um, you know that's why I repeat it often and always. <laughs> sure, anyway, I like it. That's uh, good advice. But the but the um, but the story at least has a happier uh, <laughs> path to it. Uh, I eventually <laughs> um, I went to college. I ended up double majoring in screenwriting and fine art with a kind of an illustration bent. I thought I was going to work on comic books. Uh, I grew up in San Diego, so Comic-Con was right there. I used to go every year since I was like eight or no, younger than that, like six years old, I think. Excellent. And um, yeah, it was great. I mean, I hung out with guys like um, John Romita Sr. And uh, I saw Jack Kirby, but he scared the hell out of me because he was kind of a big scary guy. (laughs) So I never really went to talk to him. Um, But anyway, I kind of regret it, you know, but uh, but what did I know? This dumb kid. Anywho, uh, so I was, I had worked in animation after I graduated college for about, I don't know, three seconds or so. It was, it was like a few months, like maybe six, seven months. And they lay everybody off at Christmas. It's a holiday tradition. 
and I was sitting in a coffee house and a friend of mine who I knew from the newspaper, I had worked on the newspaper as a cartoonist, came up to me and he's like, Scott, you know how to draw, right? And I'm like drawing in my sketchbook as he's saying this. I'm like, yes. And he said, um, do you know how to draw on a computer? Now, fortunately, I had grown up uh, not in a super computer savvy household, but my older brother got a Mac when it came out. And so I learned how to draw on Photoshop. I've I'm proud to say I've used every version of Photoshop that's ever come out. And wow. um so I knew how to I knew how to digitally draw things. And so I said, "Yeah, I do." And he said, "Well, um I'm working for this this game company and we're looking for somebody to uh work on our games." And I said, "Great. Uh what programs do you use?" And he mentioned a couple. I'm like, "Well, those are all Windows-based. I, I use Mac." And he said, well, "Okay, I'll, I'll make you an offer." Uh, the next two weeks, it's like over the holidays, but I have to work because I'm just constantly working. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, here's the key to my apartment. Why don't you come into my house? You can use my home desktop computer and teach yourself these programs and create some art. And then at the end of those two weeks, you can come in for an interview. Oh, wow. I said, that's, that's a very generous offer. How can I say no? So I, I did it and I learned the programs and I went in for an interview and I showed them my stuff. And they said, hey, we really like your stuff and you're a nice guy and, and all that. But um, we just gave that job away to somebody else. We don't have the position for you. And I'm like, well, that's too bad because you're, you know, you're making some really cool-looking games, and I would have loved to work with you. Oh well, well, you know, maybe, maybe in the future. And that little company, the guys that I talked to, they were uh, originally called Silicon and Synapse, were their original name, and they eventually became a little company known as Blizzard. Mm-hmm. I would have been employee number, I don't know, I would have been either in the teens or the twenties. Um, and worked on, and the game they were working on when I interviewed was Warcraft. So I would have been in, on the ground floor. So that wow. was near miss number one in my career. Yeah, ow. Um, <laughs> who knows how my, I, I mean, I still would have been in games if I had worked with them, but who knows where I would have been at this point. Sure. Irony is uh, one of my uh, really dear friends from college uh, also got hired as like a, kind of like a, uh, he just was kind of a do everything kind of guy at first. Um, but he originally, he initially, uh, uh, eventually raised up to like creative director. His name is Bill Roper, and he is like much loved in Korea. Uh, anyway, so he's a buddy of mine. I still, we still hang out. He's a good guy. All right, all right. Uh, anywho, um, so uh, so I ended up um, uh, not having a job, but I had a reel, uh, a disc of artwork, and my roommate was looking through the L.A. Times back when newspapers existed. Kids, these are pieces of paper with words printed on them and used to find out things. It's like the internet, but flat <laughs> uh, and less moving pictures. Uh, anyway, uh, we were, he was looking through the newspaper and he saw this ad for a company who wanted uh, artists for video games. And he said, hey, Scott, you just got done getting turned down for a job for video games. You still have that art? I'm like, yeah. And it was in San Diego, which is where I grew up. So I already said that, didn't I? Uh, anyway, so I went down, I applied for the job and ended up getting it. So I worked for the first... Um, about three years or so of my career as an artist, uh, that company folded. I ended up working for Sony for a while. I was doing a lot of sports games. And one of my producers was a real smart guy named John Smedley. And he had always been talking about this fantasy game he wanted to make. And I said, hey, John, when are we going to make that fantasy game? And he's like, well, I don't see the technology getting anywhere near where I need it to be for another five years. I'm like, yeah, man, I can't do sports games for another five years. I got to I gotta go somewhere else. So I left and went to another company um, up in uh, San Luis Obispo. And that little game that uh, my friend John ended up making was called EverQuest. So there's Miss wow. Number 2. Sure. Yeah, I've, I've missed some pretty big games. <laughs> um, 
But uh, then I ended up at this place, um, and they were doing a lot of Genesis and SNES games. That's how old I am. I'm, I date back to those systems. And, uh, and some computer stuff, and uh, CDI and things like that. And this company ended up making a partnership with some animators out of Los Angeles uh, who used to do those um, Coca-Cola Bear commercials. Oh, right. And uh, they were, yeah, and they were really talented artists and really smart guys, but they they didn't really know how to make games. And so um, about this time, I was working on a, a game that I just absolutely hated. Uh, it was based on this really horrible-looking cartoon called The Head. Look it up sometime. It was on MTV for a while. <laughs> and uh, and I was not having fun because uh, it was all pixel art. And pixel art, even though there are people that make gorgeous pixel art like uh, uh, Paul Robeson and a bunch of other – I mean the guys that did all the Street Fighter games and Metal right, Slug sure. and all those. I mean it's an art. It's a you know It's very much an art. But it just was one that I didn't really have the skill for or the ability for. For some reason just what I created wasn't translating very well. Sure. And uh, so I was making pixel art, and it was, was kind of like laying bathroom tile. You just kind of lay it to pixel at a time. And I heard some laughing going on next to me at the other cubicle, and I kind of poked my head up like a gopher, and I saw all these game designers yucking it up. And I'm like, those guys are having way more fun making games than I am. I'm going <laughs> to go over there and see what's going on. So I went over there, and I'm like, all right, how do I become a game designer? Because I... You know, I have a background in film. I have a background in art. I know all about games. I probably know more about games than some of you guys do. Uh, what what can I do? And fortunately, um, a fellow named Bill Anderson took me under his wing, and he said, all right, can't hire you as a game designer, but I'll tell you what. I'll teach you everything I know about game design if you be my art monkey and kind of draw everything I need to be that needs to be drawn. And I said, that sounds fair to me. So I did a lot of artwork. I learned how to draw levels. I learned how to storyboard gameplay. I drew storyboards for cinematics. I did concept art. And, and actually, it was a lot of fun doing all that stuff. It was it was a little better. It was a lot better than doing uh, pixel art. And um, eventually, the guys that were the animators that I was talking about earlier, uh, they brought Bill over to help them learn how to make games. And very quickly, the workload got too much for Bill. And so he said, hey, Scott, you want to come over and help? And I'm like, yeah, this would be great. Uh, so we, uh, there were only like three or four people on the team. And they were making this really beautiful-looking um, side-scrolling puzzle game for the PlayStation 1 because the PlayStation was pretty new at that point. And right, it, sure. was easily the, it was easily the prettiest game on PlayStation. Um, and so we helped them with the game design. Uh, but at a certain point... Um, they were bleeding off employees from the company I'd been working for to help them because this game was proving to be bigger than they anticipated. And the management that I worked for didn't care for that. And so they demanded that several employees come back to the fold. Um, and I was one of them because I knew how to run the a program called Debabilizer, which uh, converts um, you know, 256 color palettes to 16 bit palettes. It's like a monkey could do it, but uh, I was the monkey that was doing it. And uh, <laughs> All right. it's a very, it's a very uh, unglamorous job being an artist in video games back in the in the late 90s. Um, but that game that I got pulled off of and unfortunately don't have a credit on uh, was uh, Abe's Odyssey, the Oddworld game. So oh, right. once again, yeah. Uh, yeah, once again, another near miss in my career, um, which was starting to get me a little down. Um, so, but at this point, uh, I had enough knowledge about making games that I, I, when that company that I was working for went under due to a lot of uh, bad decisions, 
I was like, all right, what do I do? I'm kind of at this threshold. Do I either stay as an artist or do I move on as a game designer and try to make my living doing that because now I have some experience? And I decided to to do the game design partially because I just was really bad at doing 3D art and 3D was becoming all the rage. Everybody wanted every game to be 3D. And right, uh, I, was much, I was much happier doing game design than doing art at that point. And so I, uh, I kind of struck out and um, ended up uh, at Namco. Uh, and I did a Pac-Man game for them and a Miss Pac-Man game and a bunch of other things. Like I worked on the original Soul Calibur, which became, or uh, Soul Age was the original name. And then, um, then I moved on to Capcom, which was kind of down the street, and did uh, the two Maximo games. And oh, then sure. I left, I left there uh, to go work at Sony Santa Monica and uh, uh, do God of War with Dave Jaffe and a whole mess of other really talented people. Wow! Yeah. And and then uh, and then about that point, I I have two kids that are much older now, but back then they were. I think my son was about three months old at the time, and mm-hmm. my daughter was three or two, two at the time. And um, my wife, I would work, you know, typical developer hours, well, typical abusive developer hours of, you know, 16, right. 18 hour days. Of course. And um, and uh, my wife, when I would get home, uh, she would tell me, uh, your son was walking around with a picture of you and saying, daddy, daddy. Uh, and that broke my heart. I was like, I cannot... I cannot do this to these little people. I need to see them grow up. Uh, and at about the same time, I got a call almost out of the blue uh, from THQ, the publisher. And they said, hey, um, would you like a job with us? And I said, oh, I'd already been talking to one of your developers. And they're like, no, 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 not development, publishing. And I you know, I knew about publishers, but they were always kind of like the, the evil um, – they were like Darth Vader coming to the Death Star and saying – you know, you need to redouble your efforts, otherwise I'm going to choke you all out. And so I, I didn't have a very positive worldview of what publishers did, but I did know that they were only 15 minutes away from my house, and they told me that I could go home on the weekends. And so that seemed like a good deal to me. So I uh, took the job at THQ, and I worked there for about seven years on a whole mess of stuff, everything from um, Warhammer 40K and Homefront and... Darksiders and SpongeBob SquarePants and Bratz and, um, <laughs> oh man, all types of some really great things. Uh, Drawn to Life probably was one of the highlights, I think. Um, oh, but, wow. Uh, cool. But, al- but also a lot of garbage. Um, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's just, it was just kind of how, you know, things, that's part of the good and bad about working for publishing is sometimes you don't get to choose. But, um, but it paid the bills and I saw my kids on the weekend and my wife and that was great. Uh, and then about um, uh, about five, about six years into it or so, um, I I had been going to the Game Developers Conference, and uh, I love going to. G- I, that's another thing that I highly recommend if you have the means, either preferably a free pass, uh, but if you can afford to go, it is. I mean, E three is great because you get to play everything, but mm-hmm. GDC is by far the most valuable thing I think for game developers to go to. Partially because you are there with your peers and partially because it is this great place to just talk about ideas. Sure. And if your um, if your employer ever says, well, I don't want to send you because I don't want you to quit and find another job, just 
put your fin cross your fingers behind your back and go, oh, I would never ever do that. <laughs> um, but then immediately bring your resume with you because it's a great place to make contacts to find work. Also, excellent. Anyway. Uh, so I I had been going, though, for years, and I'd been listening to a lot of lectures, and I'm like, well, these are great, but I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of them anymore. I, I, I don't know if I was that smart that I had heard it all, but I definitely felt like I had. And so rather than say, well, I'm just going to sit here and not do anything about it, I decided to put my money where my mouth was and uh, give a lecture. And so I uh, gave one. I applied in the following year. They they let me give a lecture about boss fights, um, and it was very well received. And um, and so they were like, "Hey, you want to come back and do this again?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'd love to." So then I was like, "Oh crap! What do I talk about this time?" Uh, but so I thought about the two things that at the time I I kind of loved the most, which were uh, level design and Disneyland. And so <laughs> I gave a talk that I'm kind of well known for uh, about Disneyland and level design called. Everything I learned about level design, I learned from Disneyland. You can find it all over the place online. There's um, at least two, if not three, different versions of videos of it online. Okay. I don't know if any one is better than the other, but it's all kind of the same. Um, but uh, it was um, in the audience were several important people, uh, one of which was the um, sci-fi writer and famous blogger Cory Doctorow, who wrote an extremely glowing piece on it. Uh, he literally like transcribed the talk, and that was seen by a publisher at a place called Wiley and Sons. They're a British publisher, but the U.S. division saw it, and they called me up kind of out of the blue and said, uh, "This sounded like a really interesting talk. Uh, do you think you would want to turn it into a book?" And at that time, I had been doing a lot of um, working with developers as a creative manager, so I would fly out to different locations, be it uh, Seattle or, or Australia or Canada or or wherever, uh, Europe. And uh, wow. and yeah. I would always threaten to, uh, to the people that I worked with, uh, you know, I'm just going to write this stuff down because I find myself saying the same thing to you people all <laughs> over and over and over again. And, and yeah. part of it is just so I can keep it straight in my own head, but partially so I can just say, all right, here, here's something for you to read. Um, and uh, and that way you don't have to bug me for let me enjoy London for a while. And then when you're ready, I'll come and talk to you. Um, but also at the same time, uh, like I said, I had worked with the Drawn Life guys, the Fifth Cell team, and their creative director there, Jeremiah. Uh, one day he, he turned to me with a very audacious request. He said, Scott, you've worked on a lot of platforming games. Can you write down everything you know about platform games? And I laughed and I said, no, but I can give you kind of a basic primer about it. So I wrote um, a document that I called the platforming primer and I photocopied that and gave it to him and his team. And I ended up putting it online and it's it's got a little bit of a life of its own, actually. People, I've heard people kind of pass it around and like this little underground document, I oh, guess, wow. of game design. Yeah. And, um, and so at the time I had this platform primer, I had kind of the outline of a uh, information that I thought was worth sharing with teams and when and then had given this Disneyland talk when Wiley and Son, a, a, a great guy that I owe a lot to named Chris Webb, called me up out of the blue and said, hey, um, let's make a book about game design. And I said, and he was also, um, Wiley is known for the Four Dummies books, those famous books. And I said, do you want like the Four Dummies version of game design? And he goes, no, 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 I want the Scott Rogers book of the game design. And that that was the huge difference. Sure. Um, so I so I wrote the, essentially the Scott Rogers book of game design, which is known by its name, uh, Level Up: The Guide to Great Video Game Design. 
and it initially came out uh, 2009, I think, but it's had a second edition in 2014. I think we're almost due a third edition pretty because the industry changes so fast. Right, sure. Um, and, then, and, and then after that, I did a, a kind of a sequel called Swipe This, which was about mobile gaming, and that came out in, uh, I want to say 2011 or 12, somewhere around there. So kind of new to um, like kind of on the cusp of when touchscreen gaming was becoming big. But by that point, I had done a lot of DS games and Wii games, which the fundamentals are very similar sure. uh, of these types of systems. So I knew enough to, to have an opinion. And then I uh, had all my friends um, uh, give me their, um, like I interviewed them and they gave me some good advice. But it just happens that I happen to have some very smart friends, guys like Luke Muscat, the designer of Fruit Ninja, and Asher Vollmer, the designer of Threes, uh, and a bunch of other guys that I knew through different ways. Uh, and so I, I think it's a really good book. It's just one that doesn't seem to get as much attention as Level Up. Level Up is kind of my thing I'm known for, I guess. Sure, sure, sure. All right. And that's how I had heard of you before we brought you on this podcast. That was how I had. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, occasionally people will will make the connection uh, or they'll tell me, <laughs> uh, hey, I, uh, my, my favorite type of stories I get about Level Up actually are from mothers who say, uh, my kid never picked up a book before until they picked up yours. And then they were, they, that's all they did was read it. Oh, wow. And now I, I attribute part of it to the fact that it's about video games. And the other part of it is that it's filled with a bunch of little cartoons that I've drawn for it to make it a little more appealing. Um, and then, uh, and then of course, the best part about the book uh, is the chili recipe in the back, um, which uh, <laughs> if you are a collector uh, and a connoisseur of chili, the first edition has a different recipe than the second edition. As oh, well wow. as a bunch of other content. So okay. uh, if you want to try two really good chili recipes, I recommend buying both versions of the book, which I think they're both on Amazon. You can actually find both editions. And Swipe This is on there as well on Amazon. Uh, and if you have read it already and you already know, please leave a review because that is the most helpful thing you can do to any writer uh, is leave a review uh, or for a podcast for that matter. So leave a leave a podcast review for Logan. That would be great. Uh, I would love some that. Hits. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta us, us creative types gotta help each other out, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I gotcha. Uh and then uh and then just to kinda bring things back up to speed, uh after THQ, right before they kinda went under, I got out before the, the demise of THQ. Uh I worked for about five years for Walt Disney Imagineering. I was um, one of the game designers of Disneyland. I uh, I designed a lot of games, most of which didn't get past the prototype stage or playtesting stages. Mm -hmm. um, but a few got made. One was um, a, we turned the fun wheel. If you, uh, now you're from the Midwest, but in California Adventure, there's a giant Ferris wheel with Mickey's face on it. We turned that into a giant game of Simon. Uh, and then another uh, thing that we did was we brought a role-playing game uh, to Frontierland. And so we had people literally coming every day to role-play at Disneyland. Now neither of these are are there anymore, unfortunately. But uh, but they had their nice little test period, and people really loved them. But for some reason, the park management decided that they didn't want role playing or giant video games in Disneyland. They were much happier with people buying T-shirts and just watching parades and things like that. Which you know, Disneyland is still a fantastic place. I, I yeah, it is it is disappointing, and um, but I still love the place. It's still a place that I recommend every game designer go visit because Disneyland is the first virtual world. Uh, it sure. is very much 
World of Warcraft, you know, before World of Warcraft, right? It's it's got characters, it's got stories, it's got adventures, it's got quests. Uh, everything you can learn so many things from Disneyland. Um, just uh, go into it with the eye of you know game design, and you will come out of it a better game designer, I think. Plus, you'll have a nice day at Disneyland. We're getting a nice look into that talk you gave so many years before, right? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yes, yeah, sure. Yeah, this, it's it goes a little nerdier than just that, but that's kind of the <laughs> gist of it. Is go to Disneyland at least once in your life, even if you despise Disney and everything it stands for, uh, it's still worth visiting. I like it. Proof. Okay, so then what happens? Uh, and then I, now I'm teaching <laughs> and making board games, <laughs> so we're we're all up to date. There excellent, we go. excellent. We made it. We got there. Yeah, um, yeah. It wasn't. I try. I cut out a lot of the grisly bits. No, that's all right. It's an impressive story. Uh, you've definitely. I mean, you've come a long way just from you know putting pixel art together to, I mean, creating fantastic things for THQ and Disney and and authoring books about what you've learned and sharing that knowledge with others and and now sharing it through teaching. So thank you so much for sharing your story and for sharing your oh. knowledge. Well, uh, you know, there there comes a point where you can do one of two things. You can either be Smaug the dragon from The Hobbit and sit on your hoard of treasures, or you can share it. And I just <laughs> happen to believe that it's you. It's better. You're better off sharing it in the end. And and to be honest, um, the more you share it, the more you learn because people then will challenge your ideas, and so then you have to think about them more and go, oh, did I really mean what I wrote about? And and I've kind of revised my thinking on a, a few things. Um, and uh, but in the end, it makes you a better it kind of um, uh, kind of uh, strengthens your convictions and your ideas and makes them much more solid and uh, harder to for other people to doubt them. Uh, but it also um, uh, it also gives you new ideas. I, I always joke that, you know, you can read my book, but you don't know everything I know. And so that's why you want to hire me. <laughs> there you I go. gotta I gotta keep some things to myself. Are you for hire then? Do you do freelance work still? Oh yeah, yeah. I I am right now I'm well I'm currently uh, the te- like I said, the teaching takes up a fair amount of my time, but I still have enough time to do other things. So if anyone is out there that is looking for um you know, somebody to to help them with their game, now keep in mind when I say help uh, I do mean uh, getting paid for because that's the other thing I strongly believe in for <laughs> creative f- type is the the idea of doing work. Oh, you'll get great exposure or, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's, you know, that's not – you can't make a living off of that. And the whole goal of any game creator should be to be able to make a living off of doing this. Uh, I've been very fortunate to be able to have made a, a pretty good, you know, chunk of my time off of um, – uh, getting paid for coming up with games and creating games and things like that. And um, uh, it's, you know, it's only fair that you pay a creator for their work. It doesn't matter if it is a, a brand new kid who is just out of high school or even in high school and doing artwork uh, or, uh, you know, a game designer that's been around forever. Uh, the time and the knowledge and the experience is all very valuable. It, th- a story that I tell... Uh, is um, a famous one about Pablo Picasso, the Spanish painter. Mm-hmm. And uh, and one day a guy went up to Pablo Picasso and said, hey, can you draw me a sketch? And Pablo was like, sure. 
And he draws him like a very quick sketch and he hands it to him and he goes, I'll be $3,000, please. And the guy goes, $3,000? What do you mean? I just, it took you like three seconds to draw that. And he goes, yes, but it took me 30 years to draw that fast. Yeah. All right. So it, you're not paying for the output. You're paying for everything. But it's always worth it. If you want a Picasso, then you pay Picasso. And and this is a message that a lot of – so this is an interesting thing that I run across with students and sometimes indie developers, mm-hmm. which is this surprise that that the game industry or the game business is a business because a lot of people want to make games for art and they want to make games to be creative and they want to make games to have fun. Mm-hmm. And these are all very fine things to make games for. But in the end – the goal is to be able to keep making games. And in order to do that, you have to treat it like a business. Now, the business part isn't as much fun as making the game, but it's still a very, very important thing to learn how to do. So when you are teaching and you have a a group of students or even just one student talking to you and you're kind of sharing this knowledge with them that it is a business, that you need to be paid for your work, what sort of responses do you get? Are people receptive to that? Does that turn people away? <laughs> is it, is, do people Sometimes. find it hard? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, had, uh, I also teach from time to time at the University of Southern California, which is pretty pretty prestigious school for game design. Sure. And I once had, a, I once had an entire class tell me, they were like, you're the first professor we've had here that has told us this. And I'm like, Okay. Well, wow. I mean, how can that be? That 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 doesn't make sense. But there is um, some academics believe that you know college is a place for you to make mistakes and to be creative and to learn how to be artistic and express yourself. And those are great. I I I harbor nothing but I, I wish I had the um, opportunity myself over my career to have that freedom. But the reality is once you get into the real world of making games, more often than not, you don't. Now, I, I say that with an asterisk or, or more um, appropriately a parenthesis, which are all over the place in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is <laughs> the world is now different than the one I worked in. So the option to make something that is more for yourself is much more readily available. And it's something I'm a little jealous of, actually, that, that – um, if you want to make, uh, you know, your stupid game about a clown riding a unicycle throwing pies at tigers, uh, it's now something you could actually make rather than somebody saying, nope, that's not marketable, which is the wall I used to run into all the time when I would pitch ideas is nobody would buy that. That's a, or, or even worse, they would use, uh, well, that's a finger quote game designer idea, which was a bit of a, of a um, slam against saying, well, that idea is is something that a game designer would want to make and play, but not anybody else. Right. Which, I, in retrospect, I didn't really appreciate that that sentiment because, you know, it's that's like saying, oh, that that's an art, that's a painting an artist would want to make. Nobody wants that. Yeah, that's interesting. And the reason I I kind of dig into that a little bit, and this is actually a nice transition. Um, I mean, this is the podcast for indie video games and for those developers and designers. So you mentioned a little bit that it's so much easier now to make the game you want to make if if you pursue that enough. What are your thoughts on the state of indie video games right now? I mean, you kind of watched it grow up and become what it is now. 
give me some general thoughts on that. Oh, it's it's fantastic. I um, like I said, I'm a little jealous because um, I, it's not like my time has passed, but the time for me to kind of take risks and uh, put in the energy that is required. Um, you know, I'm not young anymore. <laughs> like I said, I've worked for over 21 years in video games, so I'm, you know, not a not a spring chicken anymore. But I'm not done yet either, so there is that. Um, but that said, the I see a lot of younger game, newer game developers taking risks and kind of saying, "Look, I'm going to go a year and work on this game and live off my parents or live off my savings or." Uh, you know, be able to me and and two or three others of my buddies get together and make let's make a game. It's almost like you know they used to say, let's put on a show. That's well, it's kind of the same thing. Let's make a game and see what happens. And if it fails, no biggie. We've learned a lot, and that's that's awesome. That is super great. It's a lot harder to do that when you have two kids and a wife and a mortgage and and debts and things like that. You unfortunately need the more steady paycheck. The, the time then becomes, okay, well, I will work my job and make the indie game in the free time. Unfortunately, that has not been an option for me sure. yet. Um, but who knows? In the, never say never, right? Well, for sure. And, hey, you're working on the board game, right? You've got your other projects that you're, you're digging into. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's my, equi- that's my equivalent of the indie game is the board game. Um, and part of it is it's – it's uh, this is might sound a little pathetic, but I I've not found the right partners to make things with. That's another thing that has been uh, unfortunately an uh, obstacle in my path to making my finger quote own thing, uh, and that is um, finding people to work with or that are willing to work or or whatever you know. And it's not like I'm a pain in the ass to work for. Well, maybe maybe I am. I don't know, <laughs> but. Uh, but that's that's something that when I um, am in school with these students, I always say, um, look to your right and look to your left, and these are people that you can just ma- you can go make games with. This is this is one of the other great things about the world we live in now is it is a lot easier for you to connect with total strangers to make games i've you know i there i can't i don't remember the games off the top of my head but i have heard plenty of stories of people saying you know i'm going to go on to uh, uh some message board and say i want to make a game who wants to help me and all these people kind of jumping in and say i will i will i will and then you know by hook or by crook they they manage to get a game made you know and and sometimes people are you know i just do a little bit i'll make a model or two or i'll do some texturing or i'll do some lighting or or I will code the whole thing or do the sound or whatever. So this this spirit of collaboration is a lot easier, I think, to harness uh, if you have the initial passion. And I think also the having the good idea helps too. That's super important, of course, to have an idea that people want to see come to life. Um, but but also the having universities uh, that have game design programs, it, like I said, it's instant team. You show up the people in the same room with you are now your team that once again, like imagine doing, well, I don't know how old you are, Logan, but doing that in the nineties <laughs> was not uh, an option, <laughs> uh, but right, it is right, now. Right. And that's so exciting and so great. Uh, and like I said, um, something that everybody who wants to make a game, there is very few 
barriers. I think the only real barrier is talent, and even that isn't a barrier. <laughs> right. right, because I people mean, can someone someone can just pick up your book, right, and at least get started. You know, well, they can at least get the knowledge, right? Sure. Yeah, the yeah. knowledge is out there. I mean, I'm not the only one writing books. There's a bazillion other websites, and you know. A lot of people are coming to the same discoveries, and a lot of people have to find it on their own, and that's fine. That's just how you learn. Sure. Well, you uh, have had some some students that you've taught that have gone on to make some successful indie games and some great projects. Yeah. So you know that's worth yeah, something absolutely. as well. Yeah that that gives me a, that gives me a lot of pride. I uh, like I, uh, Asher Vollmer was one of not a not a, a long student, but he he had, I had at least I think he was in a class with me. Um, and the one of the gals that did Ori in the Blind Forest, and um, gosh, I'm trying to remember. I'm, I'm all, now all of a sudden I'm all blanking on uh, on games, but um, but yeah, I've I, I have several people that I'm uh, very proud that have um, you know kind of worked with me or under me and consider me mentors, uh, consider me to be their mentor and. Uh, and that gives me a lot of pride. I mean, it's, and that's just part of growing up and learning that it's not all about you. It's, it's about hopefully seeing these other people also go on to have a career in games. And, you know, I hope that they go on as long as I have, if not longer. Well, you mentioned that, uh, you know, you can look to your right and left if you're in a class and, you know, these can be collaborators. Anybody in this day and age can be a collaborator, um, obviously, uh, we mentioned even before we started that the industry is fairly small. Um, you know, you and I have both had the chance to connect with uh, Luke Muscat fairly recently. Yep. Um, he came on yeah. our show just a few episodes ago. Um, obviously, he's yeah, the Luke's... creator of Fruit Ninja. Uh, yeah, actually, super talented guy. Very, very talented guy. And just a great guy. Remember, remember in his interview where he said that he had like a miserable period where he worked on like Nickelodeon games? <laughs> Guess yeah. who his creative manager was over those horrible Nickelodeon games? <laughs> That was that was that me. was you. I was there the one go. making. I was the one making his life miserable. Sorry, Luke. <laughs> I'll be sure to send this to him. But he seems to. He'll know. He, he's he uh, he seems to have bounced back from it. Yeah, so yeah. They seem like they're doing good. So. Yeah, they are. They're doing great. Their their stuff is a lot of fun. Uh, also, this is a fun side note. I was looking at your LinkedIn, and uh-huh. um, and you have a very well developed page, by the way. Uh, not everybody does. No. I appreciate yours. Uh, <laughs> I always I always joke that I look good on paper. You, well, definitely, absolutely. And uh, you listed some, you know, collaborators, some teams you've worked with, um, and I saw Tommy Tallarico on here. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, Tommy's he, amazing. He is. Uh, well, I know him primarily for Video Games Live, right? Um, the right, big yeah. orchestral concert, this tour they take around. Yeah. Um, and I've been working with him. He's coming to my city in Iowa next weekend. Oh. Oh, fantastic! We'll give him my best. I will. I'll have to tell him I just uh, talked to you. Here's the here's the very sad thing, though, is that, well, first of all, I remember when Tommy would kind of sit around and muse about, um, yeah, I'd love to like go on the road and play video game music, and and I'm like, that's that sounds awesome, Tommy. You should totally do it. Now I'm not saying I at all. I'm not taking any credit for <laughs> anything Tommy's done. Tommy is the most. He's the he's the most awesome self promoter and and like hustler I've ever met in my life. He's a, definitely he's definitely um, a, a, I I have huge respect for him. I love that guy, but um, uh, and I used to joke all the time. I go make sure you play some Maximo music because he composed uh, music for Maximo and then he also did um, Pac Man World stuff for us. 
Uh, so I worked with Tommy on at least three projects, four projects. Sure. Um, and we're we're you know we're 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 friends. Um, but uh, shamefully, I have yet to see his show. I have had a few opportunities. He was always very gracious to invite me, and then just one thing or another would come up, and I just could never get to it. So one day, I will go see his show. Um, but uh, sorry, Tommy, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> invite me back. I promise. I'll 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 sign autographs or books or or give try to give away some I don't know I I, I don't have any copies left my publishers I have to buy all my copies so oh wow all right well you'll figure it out no worries yeah, it'll <laughs> yeah. happen uh, tell it'll him happen. tell him tell him if he wants me I'll uh, be happy to uh, contribute in my small way <laughs> all right I will pass <laughs> that along um, but I guess one of my coolest things I take away from that is I mean you never know who you're going to talk to who's connected to somebody else. Right. I mean, oh, yeah. we do work yeah. in, in a fairly small industry. You were talking about um, GDC, right? That's, I mean, everybody's coming together. Um, yeah. So as a, as an aspiring developer or, you know, somebody just interested in the industry or wanting to get started, do you have advice on how to start, you know, making those connections, how to dive into the deep end even? Yeah. Um, well, the first thing is just get out there, make yourself known that you're somebody well, not just, you know, not just talk about it. I, the first step is to just do it, just like Nike says. Um, I always say, uh, writer, you know, I ask people, what do, what do, Logan, what do writers do? And they say, what do writers do? Yeah. What do writers do? They write. Yes. And what do musicians do? They, well, they play music. Right. right? So what should game designers do? They should design games. Yes. So start by making games. And and like I said, don't wait for anyone to invite you to the party. And it doesn't matter what type of game you make. It can be a board game or a card game or a little flash game. Or I remember um, uh, American McGee and Cliff Belinsky, they started doing mods of Unreal. Mm -hmm. Right. They just took whatever they had in front of it. But they were so passionate about making games they just used whatever they had in front of them to make games. And the more games they make, they're going to make mistakes. You're going to make a lot of crappy games. Just like you, you know, if you're a musician, you're not going to be great right out the bat. However, uh, they kept making it and making it and making it. And then eventually within their community, they were well known as somebody who made good things. And then that eventually, for in the case of those two guys, they led to jobs. The, the people that were the quote-unquote uh, official people said hey how about you start making those cool things for us and so they got paid and then eventually they kept making cooler and cooler things and now they're you know big names in the industry mm -hmm. um anybody can do that that's that's you know now granted like i said you need a little bit of talent you can't just be a complete schmuck and and not <laughs> uh not be able to do anything but passion goes a long way i will i would it, when i was hiring people at thq uh, I would always hire somebody with passion over uh, anyone who just said, well, I like to play games because we all like to play games. We all just playing video games doesn't make you a game designer, but show me that you want to make them and show me that you want to make them more than anything else in the world. And the way that you prove that to me is by showing me you've already been making games. You don't need me to tell you to go make games because if you're listening to this and you want to make games, you're already making games. My my advice is, is just kind of like uh, preaching to the choir. Um, so that's step one is make games. 
Step two is then get out there and meet other people making games. And partially, this this is one of the more fun things because now you're making friends and you're meeting people. And, and you don't have to view everybody as a potential business partner, but maybe in the back of the mind, it doesn't hurt to think of that. Now, who can I... Who, you know, uh, who can I work with and who can I uh, team up with? You know, superhero team up, right? Batman and Superman. Back in the there old days, go. used to get along. Uh, <laughs> and there's a reason why, because they were both really good at what they did. Uh, and so the same is true for video game creators. Uh, team up with very talented people. Uh, get that passion going. And, and partnerships are amazing when they get working. Um, uh, they you, you feed off of each other's and you fill in each other's gaps. You know, if I am not good at coding, I will try to find somebody to team up with that is good at coding, but also not just good at coding, but has great ideas and and very uh, strong opinions and very sensible mentality about things that need to be sensible. And that way I can work with them and not just constantly be fighting with them because you don't want to do that. either. That's no fun. Oh, right. Of course. For anybody. Yeah. So that's number two. Uh, number one was make games. Number two is make friends. Uh, number three is um, uh, learn as much as you can. Just be a sponge, but but don't just be uh, don't suck up the same stuff that everybody's sucking up. Uh, I was in a uh, roundtable with Will Wright, the creator of The Sims and a million other very successful games. Right, and he was talking about somebody asked him, you know, where did you get your inspiration for The Sims? And he said, well, I've I've always been interested in biology and uh, city planning and Japanese gardening. And I turned to him and I said, Will, what do you do if you're into stuff like, you know, comic books and video games and Star Wars? You know, the same crap that every other nerd is into. But as I asked that question, like I already knew what the answer was. And the answer <laughs> is you're just going to make the same old crap that everybody else is making. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. I mean, there's a lot of great games that have been inspired by all these things. But I think what makes games come out being a little more special is when you put a healthy dose of yourself into it. And not just your personality or your morality or your thoughts or whatever – but also your interests. And so I always tell game creators that they need to cultivate other interests than just video games. Uh, while I always say play every video game you can, you need to do other stuff as well. And so the th I guess the third thing would be kind of live your life, um, you know, uh, not apart from games, but in a kind of a balanced way, because that will help you bring a lot more things to the table. Or it might even help you look at your game in a new way and solve some problems that you might not have been able to solve had you just been filling your brain up with the same crap that everybody else has. Now, I'm, I, am the, I am the poster child of that crap, so <laughs> take my advice with at your peril. <laughs> but but uh, that's what makes you qualified, yeah. right, to give that advice out. You've been there. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess so. It's kind of like the junkie saying, don't, don't take drugs, kid. <laughs> it's, it's not good. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know if they're exactly the same, Scott, but. Maybe, but, maybe not. Sure. Um, well, do you mind if I ask you something a little more personal? Um, uh, and obviously you're allowed to say no if you don't want to, <laughs> or I can edit it out and that's fine. Go ahead, ask. Um, but I do know that at one point you were battling cancer, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess a few years you, ago now. Yeah. Well, you don't you don't battle cancer. You either survive it or you don't. But sure. that's that's just my own personal view. No, 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 that's it. fair. So you, I suppose, 
you and I are talking right now, so you have survived. I'm cancer. still here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I am four years in remission as of this month. So yay, yay, uh, modern science. <laughs> well, congratulations. Good for you. Thank you. Um, yeah. Yes. Well, deserved. I'm glad to be here. If I can ask you though, um, obviously, people, especially you know it can come up at any time, right? Some sort of personal obstacle, some sort of, you know, even disability. Did that affect your art and, you know, kind of how you viewed your work? And if it did, and, and, you know, obviously you've come through that now and continue to work, do you have advice or thoughts you can share with others who might go through something similar? Sure. My first advice is this. Don't get cancer. It's not fun. Probably sound advice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> take care of yourself. Take, I mean, they. Uh, you know, who knows what I had Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is known within the cancer community as the good cancer. It's, it's survivable where most other cancers are sure. not, or at least you can kind of beat them back and then they come and get you in the end. But, you know, at least you know how you're going. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah. Okay. So let, let's address your, your question in two parts. The first is that notion of something can come along at any moment and derail your life. Uh, and that, and that's exactly what cancer did to me is it completely derailed my life, which, you know, I'm still a little mad about, but you know, Hey, what can I do about it other than survive it or not survive it? Um, but this is something that I I think that there's a, a more, a better way to frame it, and that is this. Uh, when you are making your games, but more importantly, when you are working on your career, and it's very easy for young game creators, particularly indie creators, because it's very much a passion of I want to make games and I'm going to spend all my time making games. Um, I always give advice. I have a, a class of graduating students. There are master's program and. And a big part of the class is just getting them ready for the real world. And on the last day, I I literally just had this class yesterday. Uh, One of the last pieces of advice that I give them is live your life uh, and and don't give it all completely up to games. Games is a very hungry beast and it will chew you and spit you out and not care uh, what happens to you. But uh, if you can make it part of your life if you can tame it and and bend it to your will rather than you being bent to it uh, you can uh, live very happily with it it's it becomes a very nice companion in your life but it shouldn't don't let it consume you be take time to have relationships and take time to go places and take time to maybe even take a little time off and do something uh, for yourself rather than for other people uh, it's a little, you know, you have to be a little selfish sometimes, and, and it's hard. It's I don't know about you, but I very perceptively felt the tug, even when I, um, even when I would go home in at night, I would. It was almost like the game had tendrils, the tentacles on me, and it was pulling me to stay and work. Mm-hmm. And you know, these are even moments where I was so tired I couldn't see straight, or I, I once uh, was driving home from a late nighter after a string of late nighters. And I hallucinated a dinosaur in the middle of the road, and I almost drove off the road because I I was like, "What is that dinosaur doing there? I better move out of the way." And then my brain kind of kicked in and said, "Wait a second, there are no living dinosaurs anymore." So I drove right <laughs> through it. But uh, but you can you know this the the toll of games can be very exhausting, and I I know many people that have 
succumb to illnesses and and other problems. Um, and that doesn't even count the stuff you cannot predict, like your grandmother passing away or, you know, uh, your your landlord deciding they don't want you uh, to be a renter anymore, things like that, right? So you have to kind of um, – you have to kind of insure yourself a little bit to make sure – just in case. Let's make sure I build something into my life to make sure that just in case something like this happens, uh, it doesn't become a huge problem. You know, you can you can take steps to – kind of protect or at least think about have it in your head what your game plan would be mm-hmm. so that's that's but but also working with people that understand this because i think the biggest problem in the industry at least in the the part that is guided by publishers and other folk that are thinking more about games in terms of money than in people uh, is the notion of crunch time and i think that crunch time is a completely solvable thing uh, and anybody who says otherwise is full of crap, uh, and they don't know what they're talking about, and they don't know what they're doing because good planning destroys crunch time. Now, granted, there are going to be moments where you have to work hard and you have to work long to get something done, particularly if you're against some sort of deadline like a E3 showing or uh, you have to show something to your investors or something like that. We're all kind of beholden to somebody. Sure. Um, but uh, but that said. Uh, work with your partners, uh, you know, all the way from teammates all the way up to management to make sure that you're doing whatever you can to be able to have some sanity in how you make your games. So that's that's part one is uh, avoid this, and it's it's avoidable. You just have to put in the effort to do it. Uh, the other part was what? Now I've I've talked so much I forgot what the second part of the question was. <laughs> uh, well, I. Uh, I mean, I was asking about, you know, what your advice would be to people uh, who who might struggle with this, you know, in the future. Oh, um, right, right. Yeah. Or, so, or have something come so, up. Right. So after uh, I got done with chemotherapy, uh, I had a phenomenon called chemo brain. And this is a very real thing uh, in which you just my brain was not working right. I, I could tell my brain was not working right and it impacted my work. And I, and I, I think it affected, uh, eventually um, caused me to not uh, have my job anymore. I mean, I didn't get laid off or anything because of it, but I think it, uh, I, I came out of the experience a different person in the sense that I wasn't, um, at, for at the time, I wasn't thinking as clearly, and I wasn't as fast to come up with ideas, or even to be able to write. One time, I uh, was working on a document, and I wrote it all up, and I handed it into my supervisor, and he read it, and he's like, "What is this? This is like garbage." And I t- took it back to look. I was really mad, and I w- brought it back, and I looked at it, and it was it was garbage. I had I my brain was thinking I was writing one thing, and the reality was something else. And that's when I knew, oh man, I need to I I need to take a break. And so I, I took a break, uh, essentially a mental break, and I um, got some help and I, I did some training, things like Luminosity, which is a really great tool online right, to kind yeah. of help your mental wellness. Uh, and it works. Um, I definitely am uh, much, I'm back up to speed again. I'm creative again. I'm able to think quickly and, and, and do all the things I was doing before, but it, but it took time. And, and part of it was, uh, part of the problem was after I had finished chemotherapy, I was very eager to get back to work. 
and I pushed myself too hard. And I didn't take into account that even though physically I was back up to speed, mentally I was not. I Essentially, I was suffering like post-traumatic stress disorder. And uh, and it really, it was worse than the cancer. I would have rather have gone through the cancer again than the mental aspect of it. Oh, wow. And uh, it was not good. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I'm through it and I'm at the other end and, and, uh, and much better off for it. So yeah, it, if something like this does happen, don't expect to bounce back right away. That's too big of a pressure to put on yourself because that pressure will just add to the problems. It, it getting back, kind of burying, burying yourself back in work is not a good solution. Uh, you have to be kind to yourself. Uh, and that's how you heal is by is by giving yourself the chance to heal. That's really powerful advice. Uh, I've talked to a number of people, um, many people at the beginning of their careers, uh, especially in the video game industry, who have something happen to them. You know, whether it's some sort of disability or some illness, or you know, even a uh, some sort of emotionally devastating loss, right? And uh, and, and these people can they bury themselves in their work and maybe they're not putting in the best and it can be damaging. So um, I appreciate you sharing the advice of taking the time to do what's right for you and for your and for your health and for what you need. Um, and I appreciate you right. being so open about your story. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no, my, my pleasure. You know, once again, I I I it does me no good to keep this to myself. I want other people to benefit uh, you know that's that's why I wrote the book. So I, a so I can remember it, right? Remember what the hell I I learned. But the other is that other people can benefit from that, so they don't make the same mistakes that I did, uh, and uh, and learn from it. And you know you're you're always learning. It's it's fine. It's okay to make mistakes, and it's okay to to stumble and that. But you just gotta pick yourself back up and say, okay, how can I do this better and be smarter and. Uh, and survive it. <laughs> so that's the key, right? Is is getting through it and uh, and benefiting from what you've experienced. Absolutely. Well, this has been Scott Rogers, um, just a fantastic industry veteran, um, sharing his thoughts on the indie video game industry, on his personal story, um, on you know what you can do to grow in this industry, and um, getting started making your own games and and just doing it. Uh, so, Scott, thank you so much for talking to me. I really do appreciate it. Of course, at the end of every episode, I do ask my guests to share a piece of advice. Now, you've shared endless advice already. It's who you are. You're a teacher. You have all that. As you've said, you've got to share that knowledge. Is there anything else you want to send people home with today? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of tied into what we talked about earlier about the games being a business. Sure. Uh, is the the advice that I give about why you how do you do that how do you um what's a good strategy for staying in the game industry and i think the it's not really a secret because it's kind of a no-brainer but uh, i think it's this um make a game that people can finish because if you can't finish a game people will get you know mad or angry or oh this game sucks i i can't finish it <laughs> because it's too hard or whatever. Um, and the reason why you want people to finish it is you want people to think highly of your game. 
And then if they think highly of your game, they will tell other people about how great your game is. And then those people, as well as the people that are already like, hey, I like the last game, let's buy the next one. And so you want to get uh, an audience that is uh, favorable to you <laughs> and and because they're the ones that are going to be supporting you and help you to keep making games. So so ultimately, I think it boils down to this is be kind to the player, give them show them some love. Uh, and give them a reason to love you because that will keep you employed. And ultimately, that's the goal is for us to keep making games. And I and I hope that everybody that's out there listening to this uh, enjoys enough success to, to have a nice, long, happy, healthy uh, career in gaming. This has been the Indie Insider Podcast. I have been talking to Scott Rogers uh, today. Of course... The Indie Insider Podcast is presented by Black Shell Media, a publishing and marketing firm out there to help connect aspiring and uh, indie developers with audiences and help make great games. Uh, of course, you can find them at blackshellmedia.com and also on Twitter at blackshellmedia. Uh, of course, I've been your host, Logan Schultz. If you want to connect with the show, send in your thoughts, questions, concerns, shoot me an email, logan at blackshellmedia.com, or you can also connect with me on Twitter at Logan A. Schultz. Scott, if people have really enjoyed what they've heard from you today, they're really feeling inspired and they want to you know, follow some of your work, how can they find you out on those interwebs? You've said that you're everywhere. <laughs> I am. I, uh, I'm all over the place. Uh, well, if you're on the Twitters, uh, you can reach me at Mighty Bedbug uh, at Twitter. Uh, I'm on Facebook uh, through Scott Rogers. I also have several fan pages for some of my different works, including Level Up has a fan page. Uh, and my upcoming board game from IDW Games called Ray Guns and Rocket Ships that has a fan page as well. Uh, or um, I'm I'm criminally easy to find. I have a, a website that I update infrequently called Mr. Boss's Design Lair. Uh, I think it's on <laughs> blogs. Yeah, it's on Blogspot. Uh, and there you'll be able to find um, there's like slides from my Disneyland talk and the, that platforming primer that I mentioned earlier. Sure. Uh, is there's sl- there's images from that on it, um, and just you know I I always love it when people reach out to me out of the blue and just say hi. Uh, so you know track down my email. Uh, it's like I said it's on that Mr. Boss link. You can find it. Uh, and just don't be afraid to say hi or, or, you know, connect with me through LinkedIn and join my my huge amount of people that I'm connected to because you never know. You know, you never know when uh, you'll that connection with me will pay off. And I'm always happy to try and help people. So uh, don't be afraid to say hi. There you go. This has been Indie Insider. We will see you again next week.